Welcome to the American Academy of Dermatology's Dialogues in Dermatology podcast series. This is Dr. Todd Schlesinger for Dialogues in Dermatology, and I have the pleasure of speaking today with Dr. Amit Garg, who is professor and chair in the Dermatology Department at the Donald and Barbara Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell in Hyde Park, New York. Dr. Garg is the corresponding author of the Journal of the American Academy of Dermatology article entitled, Overall and Subgroup Prevalence of Pyoderma Gangrenosum Among Patients with Hydradenitis Superativa, a Population-Based Analysis in the United States, which we will be discussing today. Welcome, Dr. Garg. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's very good to be with you as well. So this was a very interesting article. I learned a lot by reading it. And it, the first sort of statement I have to sort of start our discussion today is about the objective of this report. And from my understanding, uh, the objective of this report was to evaluate pyodermogamogranosum prevalence among hydroidinitis superativa patients. This association has been reported in the past, but never on such a large scale such as described in the manuscript. Why is it important for the practicing clinician or others to have this kind of data available? Well, HS has growing recognition for its association with individual comorbid conditions, and that's included everything from other skin conditions uh, like acne to endocrine conditions like PCOS uh, to gastrointestinal diseases like Crohn's disease, uh, to metabolic and cardiovascular diseases, including diabetes and major adverse cardiac events, to even behavioral health conditions, uh, including mood disorders and substance abuse. Um, so now we can include PG in this growing list. Um, I think that having an attentive awareness of the burden of PG among HS patients uh, in both the syndromic and the non-syndromic varieties may ultimately assist with timely diagnosis of either disease and may support harmonization of therapeutic strategies um, and may ultimately support research that explores the etiology of either condition or the potential mechanistic links between the two conditions. You know, in dermatology, we're always talking about these exact things with psoriasis, with uh, psoriatic arthritis and other conditions that we deal with, the connection between medicine and dermatology. And of course, comorbidities rise to the top. Uh, and as we expand our treatment and knowledge, we do need to pay attention to those. So, you know, talking about hydroidinitis and pyoderma gangrenosum, these are conditions that occur together, not so frequently, but they do occur together, and we need to be able to recognize that. What are the most commonly uh, seen features in both conditions, and how are they tied back to the underlying etiology of these two conditions? Well, HS and PG, you know, share some features. Uh, they share the clinical feature of... Uh, having pain, um, as well as morphologic features, uh, including, you know, these inflamed ulcerating plaques. Um, the distribution of the lesions tend to differ in the two diseases, whereas HS predominantly affects inverse areas of the body, including the axilla, inframammary region, uh, inguinal thighs. PG tends uh, to mostly commonly involve the lower extremity. However, we also see PG in some atypical sites, including the breast. So, there is the potential for overlapping presentations. Um, now, how this ties back to etiology, well, in the broadest terms, we can say that lesions in both HS and PG are highly inflammatory uh, and both involve dense infiltrates and neutrophils, 
Beyond this, however, the etiologic link, I would say, is mostly speculative. It makes a lot of sense. There are so many things in dermatology that we don't know the answer for, unfortunately. Uh, you know, further exploring these two conditions, there's a number of syndromes that are associated with the coexistence of uh, HS and PG that occur in the same person. What are those syndromes and how can we be better at recognizing them? Right. So, you know, PG and HS may exist in syndromic as well as non-syndromic forms, um, and my sense is that the latter variety is more common. Um, there are syndromes which include both HS and PG. They're quite rare. Um, these include PASH, uh, which is comprised of PG, acne conglobata, and suppurative hydradenitis. Uh, there's PAPASH, uh, which is comprised of pyogenic arthritis, uh, acne, PG, and suppurative hydradenitis. And then there's a third syndromic variety known as PASS, and that's comprised of PG, acne, uh, HS, uh, and ankylosing spondylitis. I see. And, uh, you know, I have a related question about those conditions, a little further down, but it might be a good time to bring it up now. So are there any inferences that can be made regarding a pathogenesis of HS, PG, and these syndromes, you know, from a genetic standpoint? Are there any specific foci on the genome that may result in a few of these conditions uh, that occur together? It's really an interesting question. Um, you know, we have an opportunity when we observe um, several conditions sort of happening in the same patient to potentially um, understand some mechanistic links. Um, yeah, I would say that the potential pathophysiologic links between HS and PG, as I mentioned, are speculative to this point. Um, but I do think we have some insight from observations in these autoinflammatory syndromes, which do include both conditions. Um, so there's a little bit of information on uh, or from patients with PASH and PAPASH. Both of those conditions appear to involve a gene called the PST-PIP1 gene. This is a gene that is thought to regulate immune activation through um, its interaction with pyrin. Pyrin uh, downregulates an interleukin, IL-1B, um, and that results in then diminished production of a number of downstream inflammatory cytokines. So when you have a mutation in PST-PIP1, um, that may exert a dominant negative effect on pyrin um, with a resulting increase in IL-1 and a subsequent recruitment of um, uh, inflammatory uh, cytokines and, and activation of neutrophils. I think that uh, theory has a lot more sort of work that needs to be done, but there's a working uh, construct into a shared pathogenesis. And there's nothing that we know about uh, how those mutations occur, any influencers, external or internal, that might cause that mutations in, the, in that gene to occur? I'm afraid not. You know, the conditions are very rare, um, and I think, um, I think there's very little uh, sort of exploration into this uh, in the depth that, you know, we need to understand it with. I figured that was the answer, but I thought I'd throw it out there just to see. Uh, so looking at this article and looking at, uh, you know, it was really data-driven. This is, you know, a, a manuscript that was based on a lot of data collection from a very large database. So discussing that database, this was, you know, information was gathered using uh, Watson Health. That's an IBM uh, uh, artificial intelligence tool. Uh, 
Can you talk about that database? What are the methods by which the prevalence data was obtained for this report? Sure. Our data source is an analytics and uh, research platform that's been developed by IBM Watson. It's called Explorus. Uh, Explorus houses clinical information from EMRs, from laboratories, uh, practice management systems, claim systems from over 27 different integrated healthcare networks uh, across the United States. Um, and this also includes both ambulatory and acute care facilities within those networks. Uh, the data captures approximately 17% um, of the U.S. population. So what's unique about the database is that it has the power of a claims database as well as the granularity of a medical chart. And when you can combine both, uh, both of those, um, there's an opportunity to make observations about uncommon diseases and even rare events within those diseases. So that was uh, what allowed us to make observations uh, about you know, a rare event such as PG within an uncommon disease uh, such as HS. And that brings to mind a couple of questions that I sort of thought of, and that centers about centers around how this data set can be extrapolated to the, say, the rest of our country, at least, or maybe the world, but at least we're talking about the United States here. What makes that data different from the remainder of the population? And sort of a related question, are there any known inherent to, you know, biases that might skew the results one way or another? Uh, and kind of, this is probably all tied into one answer you can give me, but... I looked at the results and I noticed that the database is com comprised of 27 participating health organizations. Why might one think the data from these organizations is similar to what wasn't included? You know, might there be a difference between those who are included or those who are not included in this database? Questions like that sort of come to mind. You know, how can we extrapolate the information from, from a subset to the whole? Right. Well, there are always uh, limitations to database research. And one of the uh, sort of questions we think about is, you know, how generalizable are our results to the general population? And really, ultimately, that, you know, is based on whether the uh, database that you're using uh, is uh, reflective of the population, at least as it relates to uh, your cohorts and the outcome of interest. You know, what I can say is that Explorus, you know, as I mentioned, captures a pretty large proportion of the population, around 17%, and that's, a, that's an impressive power. Um, it gets all ages, races, insurance types, um, all four census regions are represented. The network captures patients in ambulatory settings as well as acute care settings, so patients have a range of health statuses in the database. Um, so I think there's good heterogeneity and representation from a number of perspectives. Um, as it relates to PG and HS, there didn't appear to be any major inherent biases, which uh, we felt could have skewed the results. So thinking about the data, does the database only gather information from those practices that have electronic medical records, or would it gather from any practice, whether or not they use EMR? Uh, yeah, well, so, I mean, you know, there are several uh, parts to this. I mean, you have to be part of the alliance that uh, IBM has set up. And then within that, those institutions, the data is captured really only through electronic means. So if you're on a paper record, then, uh, it's not likely that the data uh, would be comprised within this database. So that's what brought to mind that question. It's just because in our state here, you know, uh, I'm in South Carolina, 
uh, you know, we have a lot of rural practices and we have a lot of underserved patients uh, who may or may not be insured or, or in these practices may or may not use EMR, but I can also imagine there may be a lot of undertreated, you know, folks out there that uh, may not be a part of these, I would say, more advanced practices that use EMR that are part of the alliance and all that. That's why I kind of asked the question, you know, any differences that could be gleaned or, or thought of, you know, might skew the data either way. I'm just looking for speculation here based on, you know, what the strengths and weaknesses of the of the analysis tool might be. Yep. I mean, well, it really comes down to whether patients who are not represented in the database, um, that may be because whether they don't see care uh, at any of the networks within the database or, you know, for example, a setting you described, there's, you know, a rural setting that's uh, on an EMR and, and the, that data is just not captured. I mean, ultimately, the real question is, is there a difference in the patient characteristics um, between the patients who are in the database and who aren't? But as I mentioned, as it relates to HS and PG, um, you know, we captured, um, this was a study in adult patients, um, uh, and that's predominantly the group that we're interested in. Um, we had good representation from males and females, good representations from uh, all of the race groups, good representation of age um, within the adult population, uh, good representation of patients with uh, various related conditions such as Crohn's disease, so we didn't really feel that there was some significant bias that would have um, altered our conclusions of the results. Speaking from the data, uh, powerful database that you've used, uh, generalizable to the, to the whole population, my question would be, what are the strengths and weaknesses of this claims-based approach to sample gathering? And are there any other competing methods available that researchers might use to gather similar data uh, that may or may not produce different results? It's a good question. Um, you know, when we capture data retrospectively, uh, we often have to reconcile a potential trade-off between size of cohort and the accuracy of the cohort. Um, so in using large databases, we can identify cohorts with large size, but we may give up a degree of accuracy of the cohort and we definitely miss out on some important qualitative information, such as the severity of the disease. Um, in using chart review as a different methodology that you know, we do uh, often at our institution or within our practice, um, we can ensure the accuracy of the cohorts, uh, and you can certainly capture all the detail contained within the note or the record, um, but that cohort is likely to lack power. Um, through this methodology. Um, both power and accuracy are important for rigor and analysis, uh, interpretation of the results, as well as generalizability of the results. Um, and the goal is ultimately to find the sweet spot between um, power and accuracy. I would say that in our analysis, having both is what allowed us to make clinical observations for an uncommon disease, as well as an uncommon event within that disease. There's always a give and a take uh, in research I've learned over the years. So let's get to the results. What results did you find with respect to the coexistence of PG with HS? Uh, and then you mentioned a lot about Crohn's disease, the prevalence, you know, it's important as well as another inflammatory condition that's related. How does the prevalence of Crohn's disease in the population impact this association? Right. So let me address this question around Crohn's disease. You know, when, um, when we evaluate the relationship between HS and PG, we want to account for covariates which 
may be related to the outcome and perhaps even the exposure. Um, so in the case of PG, we placed high importance on Crohn's disease, uh, which we know to have strong links to um, both you know, PG and HS. And so we took that into consideration in our analysis plan. So what we observed is the following. Um, we had almost uh, 70,000 HS patients in the case cohort. Um, the prevalence of PG among these patients was about 0.2%, and that's compared to 0.01% among those patients who did not have HS. Um, so this translated into a 21-fold greater uh, odds of PG among HS patients uh, compared to patients that didn't have HS. Now, we also observed that the prevalence of PG was markedly higher among HS patients who also had Crohn's disease, and that was about 3.7%. And what we observed in an adjusted analysis was that HS patients with Crohn's disease had a 12-fold increase in the odds of having PG uh, compared to non-HS patients who had Crohn's disease. Um, so ultimately, we, we concluded that HS patients have increased prevalence and increased odds of having PG regardless of the Crohn's disease status. It makes us have to be very careful about what we see in these patients with these inflammatory conditions clinically and be able to tell the difference. But I think knowing that they occur more commonly together uh, can help us uh, treat them, uh, you know, di diagnose and treat them better in the future. So you did adjust for some comorbidities uh, in the analysis. You know, and you mentioned uh, another study that was done before, a Korean publication, prior publication. What, is the, what effect did that adjustment uh, have on your overall results? We found that when we uh, included Crohn's in the regression model, it did mitigate a little bit the likelihood of HS patients uh, having PG. But uh, as I mentioned, the odds ratio was still pretty high, even with uh, Crohn's disease sort of factored as part of that equation. Now, you mentioned uh, another analysis from Korea, and this is the one other study describing the burden of PG uh, in a population of HS patients. Both the prevalence and the odds of having PG in this Korean analysis were significantly lower compared to our study. Um, but there are some important differences between the two studies. Um, interestingly, there was a predominance of male HS patients in the Korean cohort, and so the results from this cohort may not be generalized to HS cohorts in the U.S. and probably in other parts of the world where females represent uh, the predominant sex in HS. Um, the Korean analysis also included a broad survey of comorbidities among HS patients, not just PG. Um, so the covariates used in their adjusted model included things like socioeconomic status, uh, diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, and we don't necessarily think that these covariates are related uh, to the outcome of PG. Um, and in fact, Crohn's disease wasn't included at all in their regression model. Um, so really the results as, as they relate to PG and HS in the Korean analysis were too difficult to interpret. Makes a ton of sense. So, you know, kind of coming full circle, how are we going to use this data to provide better care to our patients? As a practicing clinician out there, how are we going to practice differently based on knowing this association exists in, large, in such a powerful study? 
Well, as we discussed a bit earlier, understanding the relationship between HS and PG, I think may assist with timely diagnosis of either condition. Uh, it may improve recognition of syndromic forms on the rare occasions they present. Um, and when there is a recognized coexistence of these diseases, I think clinicians may consider therapeutic strategies which effectively treat both conditions. Um, so I think there's a lot of potential you know, practical uh, you know, advantages to being aware of this association. I completely agree there. Anything further research you're thinking of or suggestions for the researchers to further study this relationship? Well, I think we need to better characterize the phenotype of the patient that has both HS and PG. What are the features of the diseases uh, and what are their respective courses? Um, are there treatments which effectively address both conditions? Uh, or do these diseases have differential responses to treatment in the same patients? Um, all of these are relevant questions which are yet to be answered. Well, this is a fascinating discussion. I will summarize by saying that the coexistence of hydrogenase suppurativa and pyodromic gangrenosum have been further characterized by this population-based study using a large claims-based data set. Pyodromic gangrenosum was found to be more prevalent among HS patients, irrespective of whether or not the patient has Crohn's disease. Speculation might lead one to consider the possible reasons for the association, including mutations in the PST-PIP1 gene, which is the proline serine threonine phosphatase interacting protein 1 gene that encodes a cytoskeletal protein that is highly expressed in hemopoietic tissue. Among other functions, the protein interacts with pyrin, which modulates immunoregulatory functions. Mutations in this gene are found in the PASH and the PAPASH syndromes, which are pyoderma, acne, suppurative hydrogenitis, and pyogenic arthritis, acne, pyoderma, gangrenosum, suppurative hydrogenitis, respectively. Other syndromes may also uh, be included. Clinicians should be aware that HS patients are at risk for PG. Painful ulcerations that present among HS patients warrant additional evaluation for consideration of PG. Early recognition of this important association may help guide disease management and minimize complications. Through further study, we may learn more about the phenotypic characterization of patients with coexisting disease as well as the identification of treatment strategies targeting both conditions. Dr. Garg, thank you for this uh, very informative discussion for the JAD podcast, and I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to highlight a disease which I think needs a little more awareness in both public and medical sectors, so um, really appreciate uh, being here. Wonderful.